So it is our desire, if you're not a Christian, that you will be so compelled by the goodness of God's vision for your life that you will run to God in faith. And if you're a Christian, we think it's important to refresh our minds, right? The Bible says, don't be conformed to the to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the fact of the matter is there's a lot of um, false ideas about who we are circulating in our society, and we intersect these in, in our schools and in our entertainment and in our businesses, uh, and, and it seeps into us. The, we, if we are not being actively transformed by the renewing of your mind, we are being conformed to the thinking of the world. And so that's why uh, even for Christians, having a refresher on what does it mean to be a human can be very liberating. And so today's topic, I am accountable to God for how I live. I want to start with the story of Joseph Mengele. Joseph Mengele. Uh, he's one of the worst Nazis. One of the, he was often referred to as the angel of death. Mengele was an SS officer in the, in the German army during World War II, and he was also a physician at Auschwitz, uh, that concentration extermination camp. Mengele was part of the team who, that would sort through the prisoners as they would come into the camp. He would sort them, and some would uh, be chosen to live, and some would be chosen to die. If you were young... If you were old, if you were in any way weak, you were sent to the gas chamber. And only if it looked like you could bear up under some heavy labor would you be allowed to allowed to go to the work camp. Now, for most of the physicians, the selection duty was unpleasant, stressful work, but not for Mengele. Uh, he often would volunteer to be part of the for selection duty, even when it wasn't his turn. And it was, it's reported that he would often be whistling a tune <laughs> as he walked amongst the prisoners and selected some to die, uh, some to live and some to die. See, Mengele, uh, he was looking for prisoners upon whom he could perform some uh, experiments. He had done his PhD work on twins, and now he was uh, he saw an opportunity to further those experiments without any ethical uh, uh, parameters and, and handicaps. He could treat these prisoners like lab rats. Imagine what he was going to discover with this freedom, and he did. Uh, he, he was uh, especially interested in picking out twins and people with different colored eyes. Boom. He wanted them. Dwarves. He was interested in dwarves, and he took the dwarves and many pregnant women. And uh, so he did horrible things. He didn't care about life or death. He didn't care about pain or suffering. In fact, uh, so some of the things he is reported to have done. He would inject one twin with a terrible disease like typhus. And then once that twin was uh, kind of full, fully under the uh, uh, throes of the disease, he would uh, transfuse their blood into the other twin to watch the reaction. When, when, during, uh, when a twin would die during one of his experiments, he often would just instantly kill the other twin so that he could harvest the organs and compare the two, and he would send them off to Brazil or, or to uh, Berlin for uh, analysis. One time he took two twins, and he put them back to back, and he sewed their flesh together 
to see if maybe they would become uh, merge into Siamese twins. They didn't. They died two weeks later from gangrene. I, 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 I'm not trying to be gratuitous, but I'm, a, I'm assuming that about this time in the story, you're starting to wonder, what happened to Mengele? Right? Did he ever face justice? Did he, was he ever held to account for what he did? It was horrific stuff. I just told you the tip of the iceberg. Well, in 1945, the Russians liberated Auschwitz, but Mengele had already escaped Auschwitz, and he eluded capture in Germany all the way until 1949. But in 1949, he wasn't captured. He escaped to South America. The SS had built kind of an underground uh, railroad. And so he, he was able to get smuggled out of Germany, and he went to Argentina. He lived in Argentina, and then he lived in Paraguay. And in Paraguay, the Israel Secret Service, the Mossad, in 1961, they almost had Mengele, and they slipped through their fingers. And he got to Brazil, and I, I'm chagrined to say he lived the rest of his life a relatively normal life under false names. He owned business. He had a social life. He died from natural causes. He was swimming off the coast of Brazil and had a heart attack and died, and they buried him. In 1985, his body was exhumed because the world was looking for Mengele, and they had heard rumors that, uh, that he might be dead, and so they actually exhumed his body. And then in 1992, it was confirmed through DNA testing that, in fact, this was the body of Josef Mengele. He did have a son by the name of Rolf, who was, uh, lived in Germany, but had an opportunity to visit his dad later in his life secretly. And he said, uh, my father was totally unrepentant. He said, I was just doing my duty. I didn't do anything wrong. And so here's the question. Did Josef Mengele escape justice. If you're a secular person who does not believe in God and does not believe in a final judgment, your answer to that question has to be yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, he escaped justice. It's very unsatisfying. It's very frustrating. But, but Mengele and many others who've done wicked deeds rapists, child abusers, spousal abusers, employers who take advantage of their employees, corrupt politicians, and on and on. A lot of people just escape justice. They're never held accountable for their wicked deeds. And yeah, that's unsatisfying, but that's just the way it is. Well, the Bible tells a different story. The Bible says, Mengele... He did not escape justice. It's simply been postponed. Because there is coming a day when everyone will stand before God and give an account for his or her life. And we will be judged. There will be justice. Our righteous deeds will be rewarded and our wicked deeds will be punished. Mengele will face justice and so will you and so will I. Let me read you some Bible verses that underscore this truth. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. We read, It is appointed to man 
to die once, and after that comes judgment. Mengele, he died, but his judgment is coming. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Pretty straightforward, right? We're going to all stand, you and I, Mengele and everyone who's ever lived, will stand before God to be judged. We will give an account of our lives to God. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, we read, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. Who is that man? Jesus Christ. And of this, He has given assurance to all by raising Him, that's Jesus, from the dead. So it's Jesus who will actually be the one who judges us on that final day. And then finally, Revelation chapter 20, 11 to 15. Then, this is the Apostle John um, telling us about a vision of the future that God gave him. Then I saw, so this is in the future, a great white throne and him who was seated on it. God is the one seated, seated on that throne. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there there are books, and then there is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And so those books are records of our deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. So dead people come back to life, and they are judged based on uh, what's in the books. In other words, what they've done has been noted and recorded. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. What's the first death? The death of our physical bodies. But then you get risen from the dead in order to be judged. And now, uh, if your light, it goes on. Uh, This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so you really want you really want to know if your uh, name is written in the book of life. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are many people who believe you won't, you can't know, and you won't know until that day. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can know today whether your name is written in the book of life. How does your name get written in the book of life? By putting your faith in God's Son Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins and receiving uh, His righteous life on your behalf and His sacrificial death as as your substitute. So what is going to be judged? We're going to have to give an account for everything we've done, everything we have said, and everything we have ever thought. It's pretty darn complete. Matthew chapter 16, 
verse 37, we read this. 27, 16, 27, sorry. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. But it's not just what we've done, it's also what we've said. Matthew chapter uh, 12, verse 36. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Man. And it's even what we have thought. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus talking, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we're going to stand before God someday, and we're going to give an account for everything we've done, everything we've said, and everything we have thought. That's pretty thorough, isn't it? And God is noticing. God's taking note right now of what we do, and it's being recorded, and we will have to give an account for it. So against, uh, what's the standard against, what, what we're, uh, against which we're going to be judged? And Jesus tells us that standard in Matthew chapter 22, verses 38 and 40. A teacher of the law has come to Jesus and asked, what's the greatest commandment? Starting in verse 37. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Think about that last line. The law and the prophets are shorthand for the entire New Te- uh, Old Testament. So the scriptures in Jesus' day. And so he's saying, you know, every ethical command of scripture is an outworking of the law of love. It's all a kind of a practical application of what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, everything in the scriptures that is required of us is ultimately a living out of the law of love. And so, just to be very practical, everything I have ever done in my life, someday I'm going to have to give an account to God for and it's, the question will be, did that action flow out of love for God and neighbor as yourself? Every word I've ever spoken, did that, did what you said, did that flow out of love for God and love for your neighbor as yourself? Every thought I've ever had, did that thought flow out of love for God and love for neighbor as yourself? And obviously the answer is yes. Of course. No way. No way. You are, you are absolutely deluded if you think that. In every one of those, uh, my actions, my, my, my words, and my thoughts, many, 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 too many to count times, it has flowed out of something other than love for God, neighbor, as myself. Which is why the Bible tells us Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do you believe that about yourself? 
Romans chapter 3, 10 to 12, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then in uh, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when we stand before God and the books are opened and our life is recounted, What's, what's going to be the verdict? You're sinful. And if we break the law at one point, we're guilty of all, right? And so the verdict for all of us will be, you are a sinner. This was a big hang-up for a buddy of mine in college. This was his hang-up about the gospel. He couldn't get there. He just said, Mike, I... I can believe in God. I can believe Jesus is the Son of God. I cannot admit that I am a sinner. And that kept him from receiving Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. What is the penalty? So the verdict is guilty. You're a sinner. What's the penalty? Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. Romans 6.22, 623, for the wages of sin is death. So the the verdict will be for all of us, guilty, you're a sinner. The penalty is death. I want to just sit here for a moment because until we grapple with this, the, the good news of the gospel isn't good news to us. What's your self-identity? Do you believe that someday God will hold you accountable and that you will be declared sinful and you will be uh, condemned to die apart from Christ? As long as you quibble over either one of those, I'm not really sure I'm sinful. I mean, I'm not as bad as other people. And, well, in considering my upbringing, I'm doing a pretty good job, blah, blah, blah. Or death, come on, that's extreme. I don't. I think that's unwarranted. If you're quibbling, you will not see the gospel as the good news it is for you. Because the good news is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, left heaven and he came to earth and he willingly went to the cross to substitute himself for you, to take upon himself the penalty for your sins and my sins. And Jesus, no one took his life from him. He said, it's right. Nobody takes my life from me. I give it willingly for you. And so the penalty for our sins is death, but by his stripes, we are healed. And in addition to that, Jesus is the only one who has ever lived a completely sinless life, a righteous life, and he offers his righteous life to us, and we can wear it. Uh, like a, almost like a coat, right? We can put on his righteousness, which is why God can say, come, enter heaven with me. Here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's a verse you, could, you should write down, meditate on, and memorize. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's unpack that a bit. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, 
to be sin who knew no sin. What, how did he make Jesus to be sin? In other words, God put all of our sins upon Jesus as he hung upon the cross. God sort of placed uh, uh, our, our sin on him. Who knew no sin? Jesus was righteous, and yet he bore our sins upon himself so that the, so that the wrath of God could be released and the penalty for sin could be taken care of. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. When you are united to Christ by faith, his righteousness becomes yours. Isn't that awesome? That's the gospel. But until you, until you acknowledge uh, your need you're not going to see that as good news and, and embrace it with, by faith as a gift. You'll see Christianity as, as maybe a self-help uh, gospel, right? It's going to help me be the best I can be while I live this brief life. Or, or hey, uh, this is going to uh, make God answer my prayers so I can get what I want in this world big Pez dispenser in the sky. That's not salvation. Salvation is so that when, well, well, let's get into that. Here's what salvation is. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, 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 I say to you, whoever hears my word, this is Jesus talking, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. So for the, for the Christian on judgment day, and we will be there, the answer or the question to be answered is not our eternal destiny. That, that question has already been answered. We have already received eternal life. We've already passed from death to life. The question for us is not, are you going to heaven or hell on judgment day? The question is just uh, the, the extent of our rewards. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so for the Christian on judgment day, what's happening? What, what are we going to experience? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 to 15. Now, if I'm going to start in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so now it's very clear that we're talking here about Christians, people who have laid a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about Christians. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the big day, the final day, the judgment day, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what so sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. Okay, so we're talking here about Christian people. They've laid the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, and now they're building on it. In other words, how, once you become a Christian, how do you live your life? And are you building with uh, wood, hay, and stubble, which is going to just 
burn up and, and show it had no eternal significance? Or are you, uh, are you building with gold, silver, and precious stones? And if, if, you're, if you're building with gold, silver, and precious stones, on the final day, uh, you're going to be rewarded for that. On the other hand, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You're going to get into heaven, but naked. <laughs> With nothing to show for your life. That's the, that's the thing. That's what suffering loss is. So, if you're a Christian, if you have laid the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. That's clear in the Bible. But are you going to go in with nothing to show for your life? Or are you going to go in with a whole bunch of rewards? And I don't know what those rewards are. I don't know if those rewards are greater responsibility in the kingdom or somehow uh, a greater experience of Christ Jesus. I don't know. Or crowns to wear around. But what I don't want, and uh, for myself or for you, what you don't want is you don't want to be a Christian and stand before God at Judgment Day, and your life is reviewed, and God says, hey, yes, you have faith in my son Jesus, so you're coming into heaven, but man, have you, what did you do with your life? You, you pursued money? You pursued pleasure? You, you pursued, you know, fame in this world? That no, has no eternal significance. And I can't imagine any Christian who's going to be standing at Judgment Day saying, I am so glad I have the big house. And I am so glad that I spent all that time and energy climbing the corporate ladder so people would respect me on earth. But I wasn't involved in, in, in the things of God and promoting his kingdom or, right, or caring for my family. No. We're going to, there will be a sense of loss. I am suffering loss on judgment day because I squandered the life that God had given me. I, I built on the foundation of faith with, with wood, hay, and stubble. Do you feel that? So I have two, takeaway, two takeaways. And uh, the first one is this. How we live matters. It matters. The, the choices we make, the things we do, what we say, how, what we think, it matters. God cares about it. That should, act, that should make you feel pretty significant, that, that your life matters to God enough that he notices it into, in the minute detail. He takes, uh, re, takes record of it, and at the end of your life, he reviews it with you. And you have an opportunity to lay a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ and then build something that stands for eternity. You can do that. It's about being faithful. Whatever, God, whatever gifts God has given you, just be faithful with that. And what you, it's not about how much you can accomplish or what you can do. It's just being faithful. And on the other hand, you, God gives us freedom. We can, we can just waste our lives. And then at the judgment day, Suffer loss and say, man, oh man, that was pretty short-sighted of me. So how, how we live matters. I, I, I cannot, the difference that believing that you're going to give an account of yourself to God someday 
the difference that makes in how you live your life is, cannot be overstated. There are the majority of people around us think that they're just an island and they're going to only give an account to themselves. And they're like, hey, as long as I'm not going to run foul of the law, I can do whatever I want to do. And yeah, there are relational implications, but if I think it's an acceptable, you know, then consequence, I can do that. And they don't, they don't live with, an, with a, a consideration of how God views what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they're saying. And that's going to be a shocking day for them, right? And the reason God tells us now about the future is so that we could prepare because he loves us and he doesn't, he, he doesn't want us to suffer loss. And he certainly doesn't want us to be uh, experienced the second death. He certainly doesn't want us to be cast into hell. And so there's the second takeaway. Apart from Jesus Christ, hell is your destiny. You will be, you will be, the verdict is guilty and the sentence is death. And your only hope is, is in Jesus Christ. And if you choose to reject Christ in this life, and it's only in this life that we have an opportunity to receive him. If you choose to reject Jesus Christ in this life, there you go. It's the second death. 